Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Angie Berkowitz. Quick intro today as we are hard at work putting the final touches on our upcoming Global Startup Summit, which you can register for free at globalstartup.tv. But be sure to come right back to listen to this incredible episode with Yele Badamosi, who is the founder at Microtraction, which is a seed fund dedicated to investing in African startups with technical founders, as well as a newly minted director at Binance Labs, focused on helping the crypto exchange expand into Africa. On this episode, we touch on Yele's experience investing in some of Nigeria's hottest startups, as well as what the future of crypto and blockchain has in store for the African continent. So without further ado, I'll pass it off to Yele Badamosi, the founder at Microtraction and director at Binance Labs. Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide. From Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond, here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. Yele, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Why don't you just start us off with a little bit about yourself and uh, tell us who is Yele Benamosi? Okay, great. Um, thank you so much for having me on the show, Andrew. Um, so my name is Yele, like I said earlier, but I'm an angel investor on the continent of Africa. And I do have some news. Um, so if you asked me this question maybe a couple months ago, I've been talking majorly about Microtraction, um, which is an angel fund that I started about 18 months ago um, and has grown to invest in about 10 companies uh, in the last couple of months. But now I'm currently the director of Binance Labs, um, which is the venture arm of Binance, the number one crypto exchange in the world. And uh, I'm basically setting up the, eco- the, the, the investment program um, here and um, trying to develop the ecosystem from the ground up. So that is what yearly, um, or like that's what I'm doing at the moment. And so when did you first kind of discover crypto and, and blockchain? And I mean, I guess when, when was there like a light bulb moment for you when you realized that this, this can have a powerful impact on, on the ecosystems in Africa? Okay. Um, so I think like the first time I heard about like Bitcoin was maybe 2013, but it was just because I liked the design of the coin, of the, of the Coinbase website. Um, but I know, <laughs> I, I remember screenshots in the design. I think, you know, I will use this, you know, later on. Um, but I really got into crypto, um, sort of middle of 2017. Um, and I remember because that was when Naval, Robin Kant and Gary Tan pretty much started tweeting about crypto, like nonstop. And Naval was like, if you're really interested, go through who I follow and anyone that has anything like crypto in their, in their, in their bio like just create a Twitter list and follow them. So I did that and I was checking this sort of like every day. And, you know, over time I began to realize sort of like what this means, right? And for me, when I think about like crypto and blockchain, it's this idea that a group of people that don't necessarily know each other, trust each other, can coordinate, collaborate and transact without a trusted intermediary or a central authority. And I thought that was just a very powerful concept, um, especially because 
Africa is a low trust environment um, and, you know, creating trustless systems for, you know, uh, for a trustless economic and sort of governance systems solves a lot of fundamental systemic issues that you have across the continent. Got it. What do you think about when it comes to the actual, like the infrastructure in Africa? Like, where do you think blockchain has, has the most immediate impact? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so the, the sort of two sort of places I like to start up from are around identity and then sort of finance. So majority of my investments pre-crypto were in finance, like fintech companies. But no matter sort of like how well these companies scale, there are still sort of like huge problems and challenges that you just have to sort of deal with, right? So you have banks that are open to collaboration, but at the same time, it's really hard for someone to integrate into a bank and you need to know lots of people um, or have very strong connections. But this idea of like developing an open um, financial system, uh, I think is incredibly powerful, right? So you can imagine a future whereby um, an entire person's sort of day-to-day transactions on the blockchain and you have data that is um, uh, secured um, and trustworthy, but the identity of the individual is, is, isn't is revealed. So all you have is like metadata that you can then put together and you have a cryptographic system that, you know, underwrites risk by collecting data from, you know, 200,000 people. Um, and you can have a global base of, of investors that are providing credit to, 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 you know, um, Africans on the continent. Um, like for me, that is like one of the applications that doesn't exist today, but like, you know, I believe like in the next 12 to 18 months, we will see, and you can't grow any economy without access to credit. Right. Um, and you need a new system to create affordable credit. And I think like blockchain unlocks that. And so I definitely want to hear, uh, you know, I guess talk a little bit about your time with, with microtraction as well. Cause mm-hmm. I think, you know, with, with, with your new position at Binance, a lot of the investments that you're going to make and companies that you're going to do due diligence on, you, you probably learned a lot from your time with microtraction mm-hmm. that is kind of going to guide your, your decisions now. Of but course. one thing that I typically see in, in the startup ecosystem world is that venture capital is, is usually the metric that people cite when they look at a, an ecosystem's health and, and, and maturity level. Mm-hmm. However, you know, in the context of Nigeria in particular, this doesn't, mm-hmm. like that, it doesn't necessarily paint an accurate picture of, of the actual startup activity that's happening on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, you, you've talked a little bit in your, your um, open traction newsletter about this, but you know, what, what other metrics can we look at or have you kind of developed to really gauge the progress of, of the startup ecosystem in Nigeria? Yeah. So I think like we think like funding is sort of like a, um, a secondary metric. So things that we do care about on a fundamental level are, you know, the number of startups that are being created, right? Like the number of applications that we get or the number of early stage companies that get, gets introduced to us. And it's that number growing on a sort of quarterly basis. Um, we also look at, you know, developer groups and, you know, how, how is that number increasing over time? We look at the number of like startup related meetups that are, that are, that are happening. Um, I'm also interested in the number of like venture funds that are being created. And you can sort of break down the venture funds into sort of different stages. So, 
are they more angel stage funds? Are they sort of like, you know, um, seed stage funds or like, you know, series A and growth stage funds? And uh, like when, when, when you look at all those different metrics, they do give a better sense of the health of the ecosystem. Another one is like, you know, uh, the number of, of employees within um, the, the, the ecosystem. So some of the larger companies that are raising more, raising, raising more capital, you know, um, you can see, you know, like the, the, the employee growth is also growing. Um, and all of these are metrics that you can use to get a better sense of, of the health of the ecosystem at large. And, you know, the, as those numbers grow, like venture funding tends to grow because it's sort of like an outcome or an output of these initial metrics coming together. Right. And, and one thing that I saw that you, you experienced during your time with microtraction with, with all the applications that you came or that came in from all over Africa was this, this idea of, of a lack of market context, which I think is mm. a, a big challenge with a lot of international VCs trying to enter the space because mm-hmm. Africa is becoming a, a hotter and hotter topic amongst global VCs. Mm-hmm. But like it's, it's really, really hard to operate these, these markets if you don't understand the local context. And so, I mean, can, can you expand a, a little bit more on that point and really what the challenges that you guys face when it comes to this, this concept of, uh, of a lack of market context? Uh, so I always, I always tell people that, you know, um, I'm a, I'm a student of like market structure, right? And market structure gives you an insight into sort of like the nuances of a particular market. And over time, it helps you develop sort of like, you know, um, market context. And so, you know, when you, when you come to, to, to any African country, um, something that you realize is that each, each, each African country has its own sort of unique characteristics or its own unique nuances that affects the makeup of the, the market as a whole. Um, and to give sort of like concrete examples, uh, if you went to Nairobi, for instance, you would see that there are lots of like um, motorcycle uh, sort of like riders that you can, you know, stop on the road and sort of get on. When you come to Lagos and you're like on the island, um, you realize that those those don't exist, right? And it's because in in, in Lagos the government has banned those types of, um, uh, tra- of of transportation options on the island. And you know, if you're an investor and so on, and we're looking at I want to invest in Uber for motorcycles, you would think, oh, that would also work in in sort of you know the biggest Nigerian city, but not knowing that. There are like nuances that you operate here or, you know, for instance, how like cash is still the most dominant form of, of, of payment in, in Nigeria and for a lot of e-commerce companies, they're having to deal with sort of handling cash whilst in, in let's say Kenya, there's a M-Pesa that, that is mostly like a digital version of, 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 of cash, right? Um, so you, you do have to sort of like have be on the ground or have like partners who have been on the ground and understand sort of like the nuances so that you can better make, you know, investment decisions. So those are just sort of like two sort of really quick examples that I can, you know, sort of use to explain that idea of like market context. But the idea is that it helps you realize like, okay, this particular um, sort of like an investment opportunity at this moment might not be a good time, you know, might, or might not be the right time to go after this opportunity. And over time, it could it could it could evolve and sort of you know change. Um, so I think like that's that's how I think about sort of market context. Right. 
And so what are some of the, the, the common mistakes that you would see kind of lo- local entrepreneurs in Nigeria making when, when, when submitting their, their, their pitch deck to you? I mean, pr- particularly in kind of ensuring that the, that the proper structure is, is in place for a successful due diligence process. Like, mm-hmm. what, what, what would you see? I've always been very biased towards sort of, you know, technical founders that have an operator's edge. Um, and what that means is that you're able to build products, right? So a lot of times when people sort of like apply for funding, um, it's usually at the idea stage. And even though you do have, there's, there's a chance that you might get funded at that point. The problem is that at the idea stage, there will be, let's say, a thousand entrepreneurs. But once you sort of like look at the companies that have built like an MVP, and I've launched, then it reduces that number to maybe about 100 or 50, right? So as an entrepreneur, one of the easiest ways to get, put yourself ahead is to show that you can build a product and then sort of build something and launch, right? Um, so for me, that's usually number one. Then number two is like, I care very deeply about sort of like the, the, the sort of the combination of founders that make up the team, you know, like what's the history of their relationship you know, how well have they know each other and like, do they have complementary skill sets? Um, you don't want a team that is too overtly on the, on the business side or a team whereby like they know how to build products, but they don't actually have domain expertise or a problem intimacy um, or sales or marketing skills to go after and capture a problem. So at the angel stage, like I really, really focus on can this team build, build, build a product um, and like, what's the sort of the, the relationship between the founders and do they have like complementary skill sets to go after the problem they're trying to solve? But I, I do think like the biggest problem in, in Africa today is a lot of entrepreneurs still don't understand what, what, what a venture backable company is, right? So it's not about a business that has a website or a business that is, that, that has some sort of technology component. It really is a business that, operates in a really large market wherein like you're solving a problem that is unique and valuable if you can create a solution, right? Um, and you use technology as a leverage to allow you to scale that product or service faster. Um, and so most times when we say no to companies, it's because companies haven't, um, they, 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 they haven't sort of like gone after a problem that we believe is venture backable. And the benchmark I use for venture backable is, you know, um, if this company sort of executes against sort of the, the, the mission, can they make um, north of a hundred million dollars at scale in revenue? Um, and so that's sort of like a quite a high bar, you know, for for an African company um, in the current sort of like market structure. How many countries realistically do you think a an African startup needs to win? in order to, to, to get that hundred million, because like the, the market fragmentation in Africa is, it's a big challenge for, for a lot of startups. I mean, yeah. Nigeria itself is a pretty mighty, mighty market, but it's kind of a, yeah. not a standalone, but there are very few countries in Africa that, that, that yeah. are comparable to that. Yeah. So I think one of, one of the, one of the things that I always talk to entrepreneurs about is you have to sort of know where, and this is, this is sort of like market context as well. You have to know sort of like where, like what particular market segment are you going after, right? So if you're going after sort of like the urban middle class segment, then it means your product is primarily focused on sort of like the cities. And um, there's, a, there's this index, it's called the Frame Urban Index. 
and looks at sort of like like cities that have like high populations that are interconnected. So they have like internet or smartphone, um, have a car, and they found that across Africa, there are about 200 million people that sort of fit this particular bar of like middle income earners, and almost all of them are in major cities, right? So if you're building that type of company, let's say like Uber, for instance, or like a taxify, most times these businesses end up just focusing on the cities and they scale from city to city. So when you when you sort of like put together, you know, the market, you have 200 million plus African customers that have a pretty good disposable income, right? Then you then go to the other side of the spectrum and this is like mass market, right? Wherein like you're selling things for, you know, a couple of dollars and it's more affordable for more people, right? One of the more, this is not a startup, but it's a company that is doing, I think like over a billion dollars in revenue and they sell instant noodles for a couple of cents, right? Um, and because it's a couple of cents, like it means like pretty much everyone can afford it. And all of a sudden you have a really, really large uh, 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 market market size, right? So um, I think any business or any entrepreneur has to be clear about like what type of customer segment am I going after and um, how like when you know that, then that, that determines sort of like your expansion strategy and, and, and how you want to focus if you're going to go from city to city or if you're within a particular country and then you move to the, 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 the non-city city parts of, 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 the, of the country. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you, do you think that there, there are, there's opportunities for VC-backed startups to go after rural markets across Africa? Or do you think that market segment still exists in, in more of a nonprofit context? No, I think like, you know, um, there, there, there are definitely opportunities. Um, so, uh, like things, things like, um, uh, credit for instance, like I, I just think like that is a, a huge, huge, huge opportunity that, 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 that people need to constantly trying to solve for. Or if you figure out like how to, 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 to deliver education or, or, you know, at, at, a micro scale using sort of like USSD or like smartphones. Um, I think the, the, the biggest challenges is just sort of like pricing and like, can you charge with microtransactions, right? And if people are dealing with cash, how do you then get cash into the system? Right. Um, and there are, there, there are, there are a bunch of businesses that are sort of like solving different parts of the stack, right? Um, Cellulent is a business in Kenya that, that, that built an awesome sort of like agent infrastructure um, with, with USSD and are growing quite well. Um, so um, there's even a fund um, uh, that is primarily set up to, to, to go after sort of like lower income um, mass market earners. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, it's definitely very, very viable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I would definitely agree with that. So I definitely want to make sure we touch on uh, your your thesis that you're developing around crypto and blockchain mm-hmm. in Africa. Uh, I saw in your your mm-hmm. announcement on Twitter when when you kind of were announcing to the world your your new position with Binance. Uh, you 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 touched a little bit on a couple points, um, but you said a, mm-hmm. a broader thesis is coming soon. 
So I, I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. if we get the the exclusive scoop on uh, on this podcast, but I would love to hear just a little bit, you know, about the thesis that you're developing, and you know, what, and, and what you're thinking when it comes to crypto and blockchain in Africa. Sure. So um, I think like still still working on the thesis, but I can sort of like touch on you know key key elements. Okay. Um, and so what I always say is that I look at crypto and blockchain in Africa from the lens of economic development. Um, and, you know, a key understanding is that sustainable economic development is a function of good, gov- good governance and inclusive economic um, policies. Um, unfortunately, um, across Africa, uh, you know, you, we haven't had sort of like, you know, some of the, like the best uh, 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 sort of political institutions um, since, you know, uh, post-colonization era. Now, when you think about sort of like economic institutions, which are, you know, like uh, uh, sort of the rules that, 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 that drive um, an economy, these, these, these rules are sort of like economic institutions are tied very closely with political institutions. So if you have like an extractive political institution, which is something that is more like a kleptocracy, um, wherein like a government doesn't really care too much about the citizens, and just care primarily about enriching themselves. Um, what that what that creates is a poor um, a poor economic institutions. And so, what to me, what, what what the innovation of blockchain does is that for the first time, it breaks the dependency of economic institutions from political institutions. And so, it means that you can create um, an economic system that is separate or parallel to. Um, one that is tied to a nation's uh, uh, political infrastructure. Um, and so the, the, the areas that I, I'm very, very interested in is, 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 is this idea of, 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 of open financial stack, right? Um, and if you look at, let's say, India right now, they're, they're building something called the, 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 the Indian tank stack. And it's basically sort of like four or five major protocols around identity finance um sort of like reputation and a bunch of very interesting things but as we've seen we you don't want that to be owned by sort of like any central authority right similar to what you've seen like with facebook and people's data so the question is is it possible for us to develop a decentralized identity system that is not owned by anyone but is used by uh, uh, uh companies used by used by banks used by financial institutions um, to, to, to sort of digitize an economy, right? And once, once you have that layer built upon, then the next things then come around sort of like finance and, 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 and providing financial services. Um, so I'm very interested in, 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 in sort of like unlocking, you know, or like, like, like closing the credit gap that, that exists. I think the last, the last number put it at 1.5 trillion, trillion dollars. Right. Um, the the rest of the world in any in any growth economy functions with credit, but in Africa, credit is lacking, um, both for businesses and individuals, and that sort of like stifles the, the the growth of the economy. So this idea that you know we can we can get groups of people to 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 coordinate and transact um, in a in in a low trust environment without having to know each other or trusting any central authority to me is incredibly powerful. Um, and so these are sort of like areas that, that, that I'm really excited about. And then 
you know, I start thinking about, you know, is it possible for us to have uh, sort of gov- like governance systems in 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 in, in communities and, and and local governments where people are more uh, in control of what's going on around them? Um, so the average sort of African um, who's living in a city provides their own water, provides their own um, um, their own power, provides their own sort of like fixes their own roads, um, you know, uh, uses sort of like private education and sort of private healthcare um, and what if you could get all those groups of people to, to, to coordinate themselves towards some common goal? Um, and if people are working together, um, could they sort of like them begin to provide public services onto them for themselves at a micro scale, right? Um, and that makes me sort of like very excited about the potential of, 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 of technology. So Yele, we're going to finish off with a quick fire round, four questions up to 60 seconds per answer. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's go. So besides Bitcoin, what is your favorite mm-hmm. cryptocurrency and why? Um, I'm going to say Aragon. Oh, okay. um, nice. and, 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 and that's just because they're trying to figure out how to build permissionless um, borderless organizations. So how do you create organizations on the blockchain? Um, I think that is that to me is, is something that is quite exciting. And if it's possible to do, would unlock a lot of economic um, potential. Yeah, I agree with that. We've actually had uh, Luis Quende on the show, I think two, two times now over the past year and a half. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, would, 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 love, would love to connect with, with, with him. I'm a big fan of the project. Yeah, yeah he's, he's definitely an interesting guy. Um, so what is your favorite country in Africa to visit outside of Nigeria? <laughs> Okay. Is that, is that, is that a loaded question? <laughs> um, I think for now, I'm going to say Ghana. Um, I went I went to Ghana about a, a year ago, and I just had such a good good time there. And it's just an hour from 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 Lagos. So anytime I I feel I want to get away from the hustle and bustle of Lagos, then I go to Ghana. Um, I always compare Lagos to New York, and uh, Accra to maybe like San Francisco. Or or Mountain View. Interesting. So it's a it's a it's a very different feel and a very different vibe. Yes, yeah, I keep seeing everyone's tweeting about their new airport, and it it looks be, it looks beautiful. Um, you know, yeah. Maybe it'll inspire Nigeria to to upgrade MM two, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so, what is your favorite bar or restaurant to go to in Lagos? Uh, favorite bar would be, um, hmm. I'm going to say knock. 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 I've never heard of that. Where, where is that? It's in uh, Victoria Island. Um, it's just a very, uh, the food is great. The, the ambience is, is awesome. It's a bit of sort of like art and sort of like African uh, decor going on. Um, and it's just, it's just great. So yeah, I'll definitely knock in here. And then finally, what is your favorite thing about living in Lagos? Uh, it's the hustle, right? Like I think everyone comes to Lagos with this dream of like being able to make yourself something, make make something out of nothing. Um, so the 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 hustle and sort of like the possibilities 
other open-ended possibilities of what can happen in Lagos is 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 my favorite thing about it. Um, I moved back to to Nigeria and moved to Lagos three years ago, and I had no connections in the technology industry, knew no one, um, and I'm blessed and fortunate enough to live able to build um, a career and sort of like have impact um, on 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 the continent from 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 Lagos. So I think that's my possible like, that's my my favorite thing, the hustle and open-ended possibilities of being in this crazy, crazy state. Awesome. Well, Yale, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. No worries, man. Always a pleasure. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up again. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at andberke, that's A-N-D-B-E-R-K, to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world. 